Well, welcome to church, everyone, all of you who are watching online today. Today, we're continuing in this new series for 2022 called New Year. And in this series, we've kind of put a little bit of a twist on this idea of the New Year's resolution. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, in week one, Pastor TJ kicked off this series by looking at the story of that young middle school Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, uh, when they accidentally left him on a trip to Jerusalem. And when they finally found him, when they had to go back to the city to look for him, he was at the temple. And he was amazing the religious leaders there with his, his wisdom and his understanding of the word of God, which, you know, was probably easy for him because he literally is the word of God made flesh. And then Pastor TJ shared with us this really powerful, powerful verse of scripture. And, and it's found in Luke 2.52. And it says this, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so we discovered that as children of God, that all of us are also called to grow in our relationship with God. That all of us, especially those of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, are called to change and are called to take next steps and are called to grow. And then over the past two weeks, in part two and three of the series, we talked about this, this really big question that, that all of us should be asking at some point in our life if we really want to grow in our walk with God. And that question is this, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Because especially in our American culture, in our American society, we kind of think of this as, you know, a, a season of self-improvement, don't we? This month of January with New Year's resolutions, it's a season of self-improvement. How can I make me better? How can I work on me? How can I make me slimmer or stronger or get out of debt? But what we discovered last week is that there's really a better question. As important as the question of making me better is, as important as that question is, there's really a better question to ask. And that question is this, what needs to be done around me? What needs to be done around me? Not just what should I do about me and how can I work on me, but as I look around my community, as I look around my church, as I look around the world, what needs to be done and how can God use my life to make a difference for his glory? And we ended last week, you know, talking specifically uh, about the topic of, of generosity, and I didn't say this last week, but, but I want to say it, you know, this week for a moment. This is one of the reasons why I say all the time that I love my church. Because even through this global pandemic, the people of this church have been so incredibly generous in their giving. Last week, we had online service because of this spike in Omicron. We're having online service again. People continue to give generously online dropping off checks during the week to support the mission and vision of our church to reach people for Jesus in our community. I love my church. Now, for the last few weeks of this series, we're going to kind of change direction a little bit. We're going to change the lens, if you will, from just looking outward to also looking inward at some next steps that can change you and it can take your walk with God to a whole new level. And also in the process, it can also impact those around you at the same time. 
In the last two weeks of this series, uh, Pastor Amanda and Pastor Nancy are going to challenge us with this topic of service. And they're even going to highlight many of the different ways that you can get connected and that you can serve and be a part of this church, whether you worship here in the building or whether you're, you know, one of the folks who, who are worshiping online right now, how you can get connected. And they're going to talk about one of our core values. We have five really big core values here, but they're going to highlight this core value that we have that saved people, serve people, that saved people, serve people. But today, I'm going to kind of start off this, this new direction in thinking by looking at another interesting topic, the topic of baptism. And if you're here today and you consider yourself to be a Christian or you grew up in the church, you probably have an opinion when it comes to baptism. In fact, not only do you have an opinion, but your opinion, if, if I would, would be willing to guess, is almost entirely shaped not by your in-depth study of scripture or history, but by the church tradition that you were raised in, by the church tradition that you grew up in. And so the reason I want to talk about this today is because we believe that baptism is a pretty big deal around here. We are really high on baptism. It's one of the reasons we believe that we actually exist as a church. And so I want to make sure that all of us are really on the same page when it comes to this topic of baptism. But ultimately, ultimately, I, I do have a goal in this message today, and I'll be as transparent and, and open with you as I possibly can be. My secret agenda is that if you're a part of this church and you consider yourself to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you've never been baptized, I want you to consider getting baptized. I want you to consider doing that. And so my prayer is that hopefully after the next few minutes of us talking about this, you'll be a little bit more motivated in your life to take that next step. But see, this can be a very emotional topic. And the reason that it's emotional for some people is because of the way we were raised. And when we're raised a certain way, and then we, we bump into somebody who thinks a little bit differently than we do, and then the way we were taught, we have the, the natural psychological response sometimes to, to get a little bit defensive with what's going on. And I completely get that. For example, if, if you were raised Catholic, if you came from a Catholic background, you were probably taught that baptism is an important part of salvation. So consequently, Catholics tend to baptize people really, really early, infants, babies. In fact, one of the interesting conversations that I've had in, in 20 years of ministry as a pastor is, is one that happens with new visitors to a church or, or, or new congregants who start attending the church, and they've come from a Catholic background. And then they'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, we recently had a baby and we really, really need to get our baby baptized as soon as possible. Can you help us with that? And we'd have a wonderful conversation, but it's almost kind of like a superstitious thing. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my daughter. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my son if we don't get them baptized really, really quick. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit as well today. But the reason that Christian churches, even though, again, different churches and different denominations do things a little bit different than, than others, the reason that baptism is an integral part of the Christian church universal, the big C church, 
The reason baptism is a part of it is because of something that Jesus actually said, something that he taught. In fact, something that he commanded. It's one of the most famous statements, in fact, that, that Jesus says in the Bible. It's like right up there with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? It, it's right up there with that, especially if you grew up in church. I'm sure you've probably heard this verse of scripture before. And so here it is. Here's what Jesus said that kind of cues us in to how important baptism really is. He said this in Matthew 28.19. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's our word, right? Baptize, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when you've seen um, baptism, you know, when you see that word, baptize, and, and you may have heard that word um, used in that phrase, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you thought that was just a cool little, little kind of religious phrase, a cool little church thing that we kind of throw in there. But, but in fact, no, it's because Jesus said, this is my formula. When you baptize people, I want it to be in my Father's name. And I want it to be in my name. And I want it to be in the name of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, wherever churches are, wherever people in the world embrace the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus says part of that process is, I want people to be baptized. Now, that's where all Christians universally agree that followers of Jesus should be baptized. It's after that verse where Christians go a little bit crazy and, you know, diverge off in all kinds of different directions. So, so what I thought we'd do today is I want to tell you not only what Scripture teaches about baptism, but I also want to talk a little bit about what we can learn from history. Because when, when we look at Scripture and when we look at history, I don't think this is really as complicated a topic as sometimes we make it out to be. I don't think it's that confusing. And again, my agenda, and I'm telling you up front today, my agenda is that at the end of today, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, that you would decide to be obedient to God and take that next step. And that you would sign up in the lobby next week when we have a sign-up sheet out there, or you would jump online and you would sign up or send us an email uh, when we do a baptism service in a few weeks from now. Now, to begin our discussion, I got to teach you guys a little bit of Greek today. And, and you guys are a smart group, so, so don't get nervous about this. You're going to be able to handle it pretty easily. But let's unpack a little, little bit of Greek today. And the little Greek word that our English Bible translates to baptism or baptize is this little Greek word right here. Baptizo. Baptizo. Let's say it together, and that way you can sound smart, and you can tell people that you know Greek like Pastor TJ. He's the super smart one on our staff. Okay, are you ready? On the count of three, three, two, one, everybody at home, baptizo. That's right, baptizo, okay? Um, awesome. Now, some of you probably know this, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So when scholars got the Greek New Testament, and they began to translate it into other languages, when they began to translate it into English, there were a couple words that didn't quite make 
that translation list. And one of those words was this word, baptizo. In your English Bible, when you see the word baptize, it's actually not a translation of a word. It's what is called a transliteration of a word. And here's what a, a transliteration is. Some of you are a little bit scared that you're going back to English class. I, I promise I'm going to make this easy, okay? Transliteration is when you take a word from one language, and instead of translating it, you just transfer those letters over into the different language. So instead of translating the word, they just created a brand new English word, and that's the word we know today as baptize. The problem with that is that the word baptize in English today, when someone hears it, when we hear the word baptize, our mind immediately goes to a religious connotation. When you hear baptize, you think about religion. It's a very, very churchy, religious word. But in the first century, the word baptizo was not a religious word. In fact, baptizo was a very common word. And here's what it meant. It meant to wash or soak or dip. And so all throughout Greek literature, you will find this word describing a washing process or people who are drowning. We don't do that in our baptism services, by the way. Some of you got scared for a second. Sometimes we do have parents who ask us to hold their teenagers underwater a little bit longer just to make sure that it sticks. But I promise we've never lost anybody in a baptism service here. But back on topic, the word baptizo was a very, very common word. In fact, there's a very famous reference of this Greek word in about 200 BC when there was a philosopher by the name of Decanter who actually wrote a recipe for how to make pickles that survived the ages. It's even found in a museum today. And in this recipe, he used the word baptizo twice. He says, you take the cucumber and you baptizo it into boiling water, and then you baptizo it into vinegar, and then when it dies, it gets to go to heaven. No, just, just kidding on that last part. But, but in his recipe, he uses this very, very common Greek word baptizo to mean you dip or you dunk. Now, here's what gets confusing in our English translation of Scripture. The word baptizo is sometimes translated to the word wash, but sometimes it gets transliterated to the word baptize. So that makes it a little bit more confusing. And we see a great example of this in the New Testament where it's not transliterated into the word baptize, but instead it's translated into the word wash. And it's found in Mark chapter 7, verse 4, when some religious leaders are talking to Jesus and they're complaining about how his disciples are not following certain rules. And here's what it says in Mark 7, 4. It says, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. The, the translated word for wash in this passage came from baptizo. Well, what did they mean? Did they mean that people needed to get baptized every time they ate a meal? No, it just meant that the ritual was you're supposed to wash. That when you come from the marketplace and your hands are dirty, you don't eat unless you wash or soak your hands. And by the way, parents, this is a great verse from the Bible to get your kids to wash their hands before dinner. And it goes on to say in that verse that they observed 
Many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And again, the word that's used to describe washing was baptizo, baptize, which means after dinner tonight, don't use your dishwasher. Instead, baptize your silverware and your plates and your cups and your bowls, and maybe they'll all get to go to heaven, right? Of course not. It's just a common term. It just means to wash or dunk or dip. So then this leads us to this big question. How in the world did a really, really common word that means to wash or dunk take on such religious, heavy religious connotations? Why didn't the English translators look at Matthew 28, 19 and write, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, washing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's be honest, that would sound a little weird, wouldn't it? So, so let me explain how this common word began to take on religious meanings. A, a long time before Jesus, back in the Old Testament, non-Jewish people, we talked about them a little bit last week, called Gentiles, like most of us here, non-Jewish people, would sometimes visit Israel, or they would travel and visit Jerusalem, and, and some after visiting there, they just thought the Jewish people were awesome. And they're like, man, th these are some cool people. And they noticed that the Jewish people only had one God, that they were a monotheistic culture while the rest of the world around was polytheistic and worshiped all these other gods. And they're like, wow, they believe in one God. They say it's the one true God. And they appreciated their morals and their value system. And so some of these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people wanted to become Jewish and they, they wanted to worship this one true God that they started to believe in. They wanted to worship the one true God like the Jews. And so they would ask, can I join your church? Is there any possible way that I, a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, is there any way that I could become Jewish, even though I wasn't born Jewish? So throughout the years, Jewish leaders came up with a system by which Gentiles like us could become Jewish. Now, they, they obviously couldn't be born Jewish, but they could begin to act Jewish and dress Jewish and live like a Jew and worship like a Jew by going through this ritual or this process. Now, different literature has different lists of things that Gentiles would have to do, but basically, if you lived 300 years before the time of Jesus and you wanted to become Jewish, here's what you had to do. Men, this was a little harder for you. If you were a man, you'd have to have a little surgery first to become Jewish. And that surgery was called circumcision. Students, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents at lunch today. It makes great conversation. Better yet, text Pastor TJ. He'd love to help you. But men required surgery to become Jewish. So consequently, most of the Gentile converts were women. Makes sense, right? But after that, then you would have a sacred meal that would symbolize this very, very significant, important Jewish event known as Passover, and you would acknowledge the Old Testament law of Moses, that, that you would say, I promise to do what that law says. You know, I believe in it. I, I'm going to follow it. In some cases, you would need to memorize it. 
Then you would have to make a sacrifice to God at the temple. You would have to go to the temple and you would have to make a sacrifice there at the temple. And then finally, there was a ceremonial washing. Now, this ceremonial washing was something that you did alone. No one washed you. But here's what it represented. It represented that I'm cleansing myself of my sins. I'm cleansing myself of my old way of life, and I'm becoming a brand new creation. I'm becoming a brand new person. I'm identifying with the one true God of the Jews. And in parts of the world where Jews were predominantly Greek-speaking, the term they would associate with this ceremonial washing from a Gentile, a non-Jew who's trying to become a Jew, was, you guessed it, baptizo. But the word baptized was simply a Greek word that was used to describe a religious washing, specifically of a non-Jewish person becoming a follower of the one true Jewish God. And so with all that as the historical backdrop, in about 30 AD, something really, really crazy happened. One day, this wild-eyed, crazy wild man appeared wearing animal skins and barefoot, and he shows up at the Jordan River, and he starts preaching. And he's an incredible, incredible preacher. And he just starts preaching this powerful message that was also really, really simple. And this was basically his message. Repent, repent, repent. Which means turn back to God. You have gone astray. You've drifted away. You need to turn back to God. And his first name was, does anybody know? If you said John, you win the online game show today. That's right, his name was John. See, I told you, smart people here. Now, John said to the Jewish people, God is about to do something incredible, absolutely incredible in our midst. God is about to do something that has never been done before in the history of the world. God is about to do something that he promised our ancestor Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years ago. God is about to do something new. And if you are not right with God, you're going to miss it, even if it's right in front of your face. And he would say, I know you worship at the temple, and I know you make sacrifices, but I need you to know that's not good enough. Because this isn't about religion. This is about relationship. And you need to repent of your sins, and you need to turn your heart back to God. Basically, he says, knock it off, people. Quit playing church, quit sinning, turn your life back to God. This was John's message. And then he does the strangest thing. He goes down into the Jordan River and he said, if you're really ready to do this, if you're really ready to repent, come down into the water with me. And people would line up on the shores of the Jordan River and they would come down into the water. They would begin to enter the water, and John would do the strangest thing. And we don't know exactly what it looked like, but it was some kind of ceremonial washing that he would do. And so when they described it, when the witnesses described what John was doing, guess what term they used? Yeah, they used the term baptizo. Because the Jewish people understood he's not just washing off their dirt, He's associating this washing, this dipping with this message that they are turning into something new. 
That just like a Gentile, a non-Jewish person could become a Jew through a ceremonial washing, somehow us Jews can become something new when we turn our hearts back to God in a relationship with him through this washing by John. And so after a while, John got a nickname, didn't he? His nickname was what? Yeah, it was John the Baptist. And some of you guys thought that was his last name. I know when I first heard about him, that's, that's what I thought in middle school. I thought he went to a Baptist church somewhere. There was Peter the Catholic, John the Baptist, and Jesus the Nazarene. That's why I picked the Nazarene church, because I wanted to be like Jesus. All of you who've chosen the Nazarene church, good choice. You picked wisely. But no, he, he was known as John the Baptist because of what he was doing. Now check this out. The word Baptist is not used in any other ancient literature except for Christian literature. The term originated in the Greek New Testament. And here's what that tells us. That tells us that when people witnessed, when people saw what John was doing, they didn't have a word for it. It was something they hadn't seen before. There was no word for it. What John was doing created a whole new word. He became John the washer, John the dunker, John the dipper, John the Baptist. And people would line up at the Jordan River for John the Baptist to dunk them. And this went on and on and on. And what people were doing was they were saying, John, I identify with what you're saying. I want to publicly declare that I identify with John the Baptist and his message. I believe what John is saying is true. And so I'm going to go public with that fact. It's not enough to stand on the riverbank and go, amen, John, great message. You're a great preacher. Awesome. Great to hear you, John. John would say, no, that's not enough. It's not enough to do that. I want the people in your village I want the people in your community. I, I want the people in your family. I want the people you work with. I want the people you go to school with. I, I want them to know that you've made a decision to turn to God, that you've decided you're going to go all in and you're turning back to God. So come on down. Come into the water of the Jordan and go public with that decision. Well, one day... One day, John is, is preaching, and he's baptizing all these people. And th this is one of those moments in, in the New Testament that I just, I, I really wish, you know, we could have a back to the future moment and, and jump in a DeLorean and, and go back in time and really just kind of witness this and, and document this firsthand, because it was probably an incredible, incredible moment. But just imagine, if you will, let me close your eyes for a minute. Imagine, if you will, John is soaking wet in the Jordan River, and people are lined up along the banks waiting for their turn. Other people are just doing their chores. They're down at the river, maybe washing their clothes. Children are playing in the shallows. And then suddenly, John stops, and he looks up on the banks of the Jordan River, and he points, and he says this in John 1, 29. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He says, hey guys, you know the one I've been talking about? 
You know the thing I've been saying is about to happen, that God's going to do something new, that God's going to do something that was promised, that God's going to do something remarkable in our lifetime. The one I've been saying is greater than me, but who's coming after me. See, the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders, they, they would come to John. They would come to the banks of Jordan River and they would listen to John because, again, he was an amazing preacher and he had crowds of people coming to hear him. And so the religious leaders, they would also come to hear John because they wanted to see if he was a threat to their power. And they would ask him questions. They would say, are you the Messiah? Are you saying you're the chosen one of God, John? But John was so good. So he would say, are you kidding me? I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a guy. I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy preparing the way. But the Messiah, he's coming. He's coming. And he's greater than me. He's coming after me, but he's greater than me. But then on this one amazing day, he stops and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here he is. He's finally here. He's come. And Jesus comes down to the edge of the river. And he says something amazing to John. He says, John, I need you to baptizo me. I need you to baptize me. And John the Baptist is like, are you kidding? I'm not going to wash you, Jesus. What am I going to wash? You're sinless. You're the perfect son of God. If anything, you should be washing me. And John was like, if there's a sinner here, it's me. I'm not even worthy to lace up your sandals, Jesus. How can I baptize you? But Jesus said, John, it's necessary that you baptize me. Because here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that if he allowed John to baptize him, that he was affirming and confirming the message of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, an imperfect sinner, baptizes, washes Jesus, the perfect son of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And the people on the banks of the river, they had no idea. They had no idea the significance of what was taking place. But then something even stranger happened. Then Jesus' disciples kind of took over this responsibility. And they started baptizing people. They began washing people. So when someone would listen to a message from Jesus and it would change their mind and, and change their heart and they would say, I believe in you, Jesus. I want to be a follower of you, Jesus. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the son of God. Then they would line up and Jesus' disciples would baptize them. They would baptize them as a public evidence of the fact that they believed in the message of Jesus and had decided to follow him. In fact, there's an account in the book of Acts of some people who were baptized by John the Baptist and then went away. And, and they came back years later and they heard about Jesus, that Jesus had come and that Jesus had died on the cross for their sins. And, and, and guess what they did? They got rebaptized. Why? Why would they get rebaptized? Because baptism is a public symbol of identification with someone in their message. We were followers of John, but now this is the one he told us about. We're followers of Jesus. So that's how baptism got launched. John the Baptist was the first baptizer, and Jesus and his guys began to baptize after that. And, and then when Jesus left the earth, he said to his followers, okay, now you need to go out into the world. 
And you need to tell everyone everything that you remember that I've taught you. And when they believe, when they decide to become my followers, I want to see them go public with that. When they've decided to become my follower on the inside, I want to see an outward expression of that. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of me, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so that's how the whole thing happened. So to sum it up, as we, as we get ready to, to kind of wrap up this morning, here are three quick truths about baptism, and we'll put them up for you. Number one is this, baptism is a public declaration. Baptism is a public declaration. I'm going public with my faith. I'm not going to keep this a secret. I'm ready to tell the world. I'm ready to go public with this. But secondly, baptism is this. Baptism is a declaration of association. Baptism is a declaration of association. I'm associating with the message and the person of Jesus Christ. I'm identifying myself as a follower of Jesus. It's not just a public declaration, you see. It's a personal one. In the New Testament, people who were baptized were people who had decided on their own to be baptized. Now, now this is why we don't typically use water to baptize infants and very young preschoolers around here who don't quite understand what they're doing. Instead, what we often do is we often do infant dedications. And, and even when we use water, because a family really wants that or they request that, we don't say no, we'll do that. We will do a water baptism for an infant or a preschooler. But we try to also explain and clarify that an infant baptism or dedication, it's very precious, it's very significant, it's very meaningful, it is so worthwhile, it is so important, but it's not a personal declaration of faith in Jesus. It's often a parent's declaration to God that they're going to strive to raise their child in a God-centered home and teach them about the love and the grace of God. And it's a declaration by the church that we're going to, we're going to support, we're going to love and support that family in that God-given calling to raise their child to know Jesus. And also it's this, also it's a declaration and an acknowledgement that the prevenient grace of God, the grace that comes from God, the grace that comes before we even know God, the grace, the grace that draws us to him, even before we personally choose to follow Jesus, that we're acknowledging that that grace is at work in the life of that child, that they were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose in this life by God, and that God's prevenient grace is active in their life. And again, the reason we do this is because if you read the New Testament and you follow history, baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward grace. It's the public evidence of something that's happened on the inside. So consequently, we think it's a public declaration and it's also a personal declaration. And then the last thing is this, number three, that baptism is not a condition of salvation. It's an outward expression of an inward change. That baptism is not a condition for salvation. It's an outward expression of an inward change. In fact, every account of baptism in the Bible happens after a person receives Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
And there's a big example in scripture of a person receiving salvation and not getting baptized. Do you remember the story? It's the story of the criminal who's hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And at the last minute, I mean, he's about to die. And like, you, you can't clean up your life when you're hanging on a cross, right? Like, that's it. It's over. You're toast. You're done. It's the end. You can't be nicer to your wife and kids. You've lost all your opportunities. That time has passed. But this criminal on the cross, at the last minute, he recognizes who Jesus is. And he says, Jesus, take me with you. And Jesus says the most amazing thing. Here's what he says. Jesus says, sorry, buddy. You didn't get baptized. You can't get in. No, he doesn't say that at all. Here's what Jesus says, Luke 23, 43. He says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Where I'm going, you're going to be there. I'll see you in a little bit, dude. You're going to be with me. But wait, the criminal on the cross, he wasn't baptized. And guess what? That didn't seem to trouble Jesus too much. Why? Because baptism is not just this mystical, supernatural, if you don't, then he won't kind of thing. There's nothing about that in the New Testament. This is all about going public with something that was a private decision on the inside. So baptism is not a condition of salvation. It's the evidence of salvation. It's an outward expression of an inward change, an outward expression of an inward working of grace. So here's the bottom line. Here's our bottom line today. If you're a Christian, if you identify as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and you haven't been baptized since you became one, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. It's about obedience. And it's the next big step that a follower of Jesus takes after they receive Christ as their Savior. Now, for us, we don't get too hung up on methodology form to us is not nearly as important as timing. If you grew up in a Presbyterian church and you became a follower of Jesus and they sprinkled water on you and they didn't dunk you, you don't need to get rebaptized here. In fact, if you're scared of water and you never take baths, we're willing to sprinkle you or pour a cup of water on your head. If you understood as a teenager, you know, um, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and you got baptized as a church, we don't get hung up thinking, you, well, you have to get rebaptized here in order for it to really count. No, you're good. You're good to go. Now, saying all that, the primary way that we baptize here that you're often going to see if you watch a baptism service is by immersion. That's the primary way we do it, by dunking or dipping, because that's what scripture and the word baptizo indicate. But again, we don't get hung up on form. We have a big tub called a baptismal. We've baptized people in that. We, we've baptized people in the swimming pool. We've even baptized people at the ocean or at a water park. We've even had people in a hospital bed. And they couldn't go to a baptism service, and we poured a cup of water on their head. Again, we're not hung up on form, but we care about timing. Because we believe, as Jesus taught, that once a person becomes a follower of Jesus that they are commanded to get baptized. And here's the thing. Jesus commands this as the next big step for people following him. 
And if you can't follow the first kind of big next step that he commands us to do, how is he going to trust us with all the other steps to follow? So it's important for us to be obedient. And for many of you, your baptism is also one of your biggest opportunities to share your decision of faith with family and friends and coworkers and classmates and neighbors. Why would you want to miss the opportunity to be used by God to impact others because of a little bit of fear? Because honestly, as much as I love Jesus... And as much as I've studied the scripture and I read the Bible and I listen to other preachers and I do devotions and all these things, you know what makes my faith explode? My faith gets bigger and bigger and bigger every time I see one of you go public with your decision of faith. Don't rob the rest of us from knowing and hearing and celebrating what God has done and what God is doing in your life. And I hope, I've said this before, I hope our church never gets tired of seeing people go public with decisions of faith in Jesus. So if you're hearing this and you're going, yeah, pastor, I've been thinking about it. I'm one of those people. Or AJ, I was, I was in a church and when I was eight, all of my friends got up to get baptized and my parents seemed so happy about me doing it. And so I went ahead and did it and they clapped and gave me a balloon. But honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. And it was later in my life that I, I truly encountered Jesus. It was later in my life that I really became a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, you know what? You need to obey what Jesus said and go public and get baptized and you can, you can sign up in the lobby next week. You can email us and, you know, register online. And yes, we want your phone number because this is a big deal. And so we want to be able to have a conversation with you and, and talk to you and, and maybe, you know, be able to answer any questions you have and reduce your fear level. And ultimately, we want to celebrate your decision to be obedient to God. But here's the deal. Don't spend another season of your life being a Christ follower and never having obeyed Jesus in this big way by saying yes to God and going public with your faith. And for those of you who are scared about getting up in public, I know this is kind of unfair for me to do, but here's the truth. Jesus died for you. He died for you. He bled to death naked publicly on a cross for you to pay for your sins. If you're a Christian, you believe that. And I think working through a little bit of fear about public embarrassment and what someone's going to think and what your hair might look like wet, I think wrestling with that is the least you can do for what he did for you. Like seriously, when, when you compare what he did for us, we kind of lose every single excuse that we have. And, and let me tell you what else is going to happen. And then I promise I'm done. I know I went a little long today and I apologize. On the day you're baptized, I'm willing to bet that there is going to be someone sitting in our audience or watching online who will need to see and need to hear what you have to say. Because that's just the way that God works. And the day you're baptized, 
God and his provenient grace is going to use you at a significant time in their life to help them maybe take a next step in faith. And it might start a new year in their life. So that's why we think baptism is such a big deal. And that's why we want to invite you to be a part of this. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you, church, this week to pray about this, to consider this. Parents, to talk to your kids and and your students about this, to consider taking in this new year this next big step. Can we pray together? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you so much today for for this incredible story of of John the Baptist and and Jesus. Father God, for this, this command that he left us with. Lord, to to go into all the nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, God, I pray that for some of us this week, that this would be something that we would really pray about and wrestle with. Some of us, maybe, maybe we've kind of been struggling with this for a while. Maybe we've been coming to church for a long time, but this is one area where we haven't taken that next step yet. Maybe this is something we did when we were younger, but it was before we even had a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. And and we're feeling convicted by God that this is something we need to do, that we need to go public with this decision. I, I pray that we would be challenged by this today. And God, that you would begin to speak and move and stir in the hearts of your people. And that, God, you would use decisions made not only to help our lives jump to another level in our relationship with you, but that you would also be able to use our story and our voice and our courage to impact the lives of other people around us who witness it. God, we love you. We want to be obedient to you today. And we pray this in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this service today, the worship team is, is going to lead us in a song that, that's really about surrender. It's really about obedience. And I know you guys are home right now watching this service online, but maybe you can imagine an altar before you. And maybe some of you need to get down on your knees this morning. You need to say, God, I've been holding this back. I'm ready to surrender it to you. I love you, God. You can have it all. I want you to be first in every area of my life, including this. Let's, let's worship together as God moves in the hearts of his people.
God bless everybody. Have a great day.